You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new centerfire rifle ammunition terminal ascent. Now, the terminal ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low-velocity expansion at longer ranges. The terminal ascent gives you match-grade long-range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet, and it comes in a variety of cartridges, including the 6.5 Creedmoor, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 28 Nosler, the 7mm Remington Mag 30-06, and the 300 Win Mag. If you want to find more information about the Terminal Ascent, visit federalpremium.com. And while you're there, check out It's Federal Season, the official podcast of Federal Ammunition. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast, where you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight, because here we go. And here we are, episode three of the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast. If this is your first episode to tune in, welcome. If you guys have caught the previous couple episodes, then welcome back, and I appreciate you guys still listening to me. Today on the podcast, we are going to be going through my 2020-2021 deer season, and I'm excited about this for a couple reasons. One, because I can't wait to tell you guys about it. But two, this will be the first podcast I've done with just me. So I'll get to push my limits a little bit, but also, you know, I've, I've loved having guests and we're definitely going to have more guests, but I feel like you guys really haven't gotten to know me yet because we've had guests in the previous episodes and, you know, they've done most of the talking, which is good because they know a whole lot more about this stuff than I do. Uh, but yeah, I just want you guys to be able to, you know, get to know me a little bit. And so... I'm basically just going to kind of start at the beginning and work my way through. Uh, I got my little uh, notepad here with uh, the order I want to go in. And so, you know, for all I know, this could be a 30-minute podcast or I might have to break it up into two-hour-long podcasts. So I'm basically just going to kind of start talking and see where I end up. So fair warning with that. Um, But yeah, I'm excited. I hope you guys are excited. And I'm basically just going to jump in. So... Starting off, I'm going to go back to really the beginning of last year, I guess the start of 2020. And we, my family has two properties in southeast Oklahoma. We have one place that I've been hunting for, I think this was probably my seventh year. And I call that my dad's place because he has a little house there and uh, he's not a full-time resident. Uh, You know, he still works during the week and then this is kind of his weekend getaway and uh, and like I said, we've had that place for about seven years and it is actually for sale. Uh, we're selling it and because we have what I call my brother's place, which is where my brother lives. And that is our main ranch. That's where we have most of our cows, most of our equipment and all that stuff. And so, um, but yeah, the, the plan is to sell my dad's place and try to buy some more land closer to my brother's place where our main cattle operation is because when we bought dad's place we weren't really running cattle we just kind of bought it for for recreation and and since that time my brother's gotten out of the army and decided he wanted to go back into full-time ranching which is what we did when we were kids and so we bought some property on the other side of the county a little more suited for cows and we're basically kind of trying to 
you know, transition our whole operation over there. So, so I bring all that up because I, you know, did a bunch of work or in the past, I've done a bunch of work over at dad's place. That's usually where I spend, you know, 90% of my time hunting. But because we were getting rid of that property this year, I didn't pay that much attention to it and kind of moved all my efforts over to my brother's house. Uh, and we have, uh, about a thousand acres there, which sounds like a lot, but you got to remember, you know, 800 of that thousand is just dedicated cattle pasture, you know, very few trees, very few cover. We, you know, spray twice a year, it gets grazed. And so the large majority of that property is not suitable really for any, you know, wildlife, basically just cows. Uh, but in the back, you know, uh, there's about roughly 200 acres that has a big deep draw. So that makes it kind of, you know, unsuitable for cattle. And then you got to kind of, you got to cross a Creek to get back there. So that makes getting back there hard. And so because of that, we just don't utilize it that much for cattle, which, you know, I think is awesome because that means I get to utilize it for deer. And so most of my, you know, late winter, early spring, and on through the summer, I spent kind of transitioning all my stuff from my dad's property to my brother's property. And again, we all kind of, you know, own and operate all three. That's just kind of what I call them. Um, And so, and there's great deer at my brother's. Um, There's probably honestly bigger deer. Uh, There's just not quite as high in numbers. They're a little, I wouldn't say harder to hunt. The only reason I would say harder to hunt is because it's just not set up for hunting, you know. Uh, lots of cows, not only on us, but the neighbors. Not near as much timber, not near as just good quality habitat. Um, but the deer that are there uh, do great because there's not a high deer numbers. There's not as much hunting pressure. And so, like I said, a, a lot of my effort went into fixing that place up. So, you know, for the first time, I really, you know, hung some stands uh, some cheap blinds that I bought. Uh, there's one old blind that I found pushed back into the brush that I set up. Um, so, you know, nothing super nice. Uh, bought a couple feeders. Uh, one big thing we did was actually fence a couple of the feeders off, uh, so that the hogs couldn't get in there. Um, and that's something that we've never done in the past, uh, mostly just because I haven't had enough money to buy panels. Um, but between my brother and I, uh, we bought some like kind of cheaper goat wire type stuff, instead of the expensive panels that we could fence the feeders off and that made a huge difference uh we also got a tractor back there and planted one big food plot that worked out to be about four acres and then another smaller one that was about an acre and then we didn't plant for deer but in another pasture we planted about 20 acres for fall grazing for the cows um, which worked out great for the hunting because like i said we didn't plant it for deer but after we planted it, we kept the cows out of there so that it would grow. And it basically just turned into, you know, another food plot for me. So set up some blinds, set up some feeders, uh, planted a few food plots. And then over at Dad's, I really didn't do much. You know, over there, I kind of had the deer figured out. Um, actually, I kind of stole some of the stuff from Dad's to take to Luke's, again, because we're selling it. Um, and we had kind of agreed with the, with the real estate agent that we were going to leave, you know, certain things. Um, but part of selling it, uh, just to kind of make it more appealing because we, it's really not meant to be a cattle place, but we tried to turn it into one. We'd build a bunch of fences and, you know, stuff like that. And so, uh, but we decided we weren't going to try to sell it as a cattle place. So like 
on the fences. We went around and took off the bottom wire to make it more wildlife friendly. Um, we got some equipment in there and cleared some bedding areas and stuff. And I was basically just kind of, honestly, I was just doing it to make it look like more of a hunting place. It was stuff that I'd wanted to do for a long time. But, you know, my dad wouldn't let me because we need to do stuff for the, the cows and not the deer. Um, but because we were trying to sell it, he let me go in and do all this stuff. And so kind of, you know, honestly, it was like the best that it had ever been for deer uh, because we were trying to actually, you know, focus on the deer, which we had never really done in the past. Um, so going into the season, uh, <laughs> it kind of worked out well because basically uh, my dad's place did not end up selling. So as far as I was concerned, I basically had two nice places almost all to myself. You know, my my siblings hunt some, but not a whole lot. Uh, this year, my, my sisters and their husband uh, actually ended up not hunting at all. Uh, my brother did hunt some, uh, but, you know, his wife doesn't hunt. His kids are too young to hunt. Um, and so it was basically me and a little bit of my brother and a little bit of my wife. Uh, my dad doesn't hunt at all. And so... So yeah, going into the 2020 season, I was set up. I had these two big properties, again, almost all to myself, and I was ready to go. So jumping into the season itself, um, I didn't have a whole lot of history on my brother's place. This is the, I think this is the fourth year we've owned it, um, and I've ran some trail cameras in the past uh, and gotten you know some decent deer, but never consistently. And again, I've never really had it set up, and so this is the first year that I've go like going into the season. I had everything ready to go, um, and so about a week before the season started, I checked all my cameras that I'd put up about a bunch a month before, and you know was all excited, and basically nothing. Uh, there was one really big deer in the in the farthest from the house, the very back. Uh, I mean big deer but only at night and he'd been there really in the heart of the summer like the, basically the closer it got to october the less he had shown up um and so like on opening day uh, i don't i don't think i even hunted because they're just i felt like there was nothing to hunt and so i was a little disappointed but it turned out to be a a really good october like probably the best october i could ever remember and I'm sure you guys, a lot of you probably experienced it also because we, we had a lot of cool weather. And so that helped a lot. And I'd say about 10 days into October, uh, I checked my cameras again, and it was the complete opposite. I had bucks everywhere and good bucks and several of them in daylight. I want to say like from the around October 5th to the 10th, I had like four shooters in daylight, which is something I never have that time of year. Uh, but unfortunately I, I feel like I probably checked my cameras a little too late and it was kind of winding down. And, um, I don't know how many of you out there are believers in the moon. And to be honest with you, I don't know how I feel about it myself, but according to the moon guide and all the moon believers, that first, uh, first week of October was the red moon. And, uh, you know, supposedly that's supposed to make deer get up on their feet more. And I would have to say like, it was pretty accurate this time. I mean, there was a lot of good deer up on their feet, but I just didn't capitalize on it again. Like I, I kind of just didn't know about it. You know, I hadn't really been checking my cameras cause I haven't really had anything on them. Um, one thing I did have on my cameras, which is kind of usual is hogs, especially over my dad's place. And so, uh, my wife helped me and we, we spent many evening just, 
you know, sitting away from the feeders and stuff, shooting hogs because they had just been like all of the feeders had been completely taken over. And even the ones that we had fenced, they had found their way in. They, you know, they, they tested the, the panels or the fence and found the weak spot and were getting in. And so most of the middle of October, I was shooting hogs and I, I ended up shooting 33 hogs between October 1st and today, which is January 12th. And so, and you know, that wasn't even trying, like that wasn't going out at night. That wasn't really seeking hogs. That was just like deer hunting and saw some hogs, shot them. Um, so that was the middle of October and then into October rolls around and I kind of knew from previous years, uh, from trail camera information that my brother's place tends to be really good that last week in October and early November. Um, which is something I never really experienced at dad's place. Uh, um, there, it seemed like the rut was, I don't know, just later, especially compared to like, you know, if you look at the nation and all the Midwest guys, you know, there it's always like November 7th, you know, first week in November. And I've just never experienced that for us. The rut was always later, like, you know, that week of Thanksgiving when rifle season, like that's when things were really on fire over there. And keep in mind, these properties are only 30 miles apart. Like, you know, we're not talking across the state. We're barely talking across the county. Um, but anyway, so that last week, October, which was also muzzleloader season. And and I'll be honest, I have never actually muzzleloader hunted until this year. Um, and I was trying to wait. I had a muzzleloader that I wanted to buy picked out. And I don't know if it was because of COVID or you know, the ammo shortage or what, but I could not find the one that I wanted. And so all of a sudden I was a week away from muzzleloader season and I didn't have a muzzleloader. And so I was talking to a buddy about it and he actually had one that, uh, he had bought, I think it was like eight years before or something. Um, and so I was like, man, I'll give you a hundred bucks for it right now. And he said, okay. Uh, and so I got this muzzleloader and, uh, Got it, was all excited about it, and I was trying to, you know, find all the stuff to shoot it, and it, I don't want to give too much away because uh, I, I will, I'm not going to brag on this muzzleloader by any means, but I was missing a piece that I needed to shoot it, and so I finally found some online, and they actually came in the first Saturday of muzzleloader season, and so, like, the that first morning, that first Saturday morning, I actually hunted with my bow, got home, and they had come in the mail, and so I went out and, uh, I already had like a scope on the muzzleloader and everything. You know, like it was ready to go. I just hadn't sighted it in. So I went out, shot it and, uh, got it sighted in and then went and hunted with it that evening and, uh, didn't see anything. And it just so happened to work out. Two things worked out that week of muzzleloader season. One, we had a lot of cold weather, which was awesome. And two, we had a lot of rain. Um, and, it just worked out great, like with, you know, with the ranching stuff, it hadn't gotten to where we had to start feeding every day, and because of the rain, we couldn't do much else, and so I actually got to hunt a ton that week, uh, and I saw a lot of action, and so at the far back of my brother's place, we, like I said, we had that four-acre food plot, and I had a cheap, uh, like, poly blind, it's it's called a, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it, honestly, I, I pronounce it Crivoman. I've heard a lot of people pronounce it Crivoman. It's like a round poly blind with, uh, you know, I had four bow windows put in it. Uh, I think they're about a thousand bucks. I bought it a couple years ago before I was married. 
And uh, so I had that set up over this big food plot, and then there was a feeder in the plot also. And like uh, I think Monday evening I hunted, and right at last light across the plot I saw this really nice-looking buck. And I looked through my binoculars, and I recognized it as a buck I had one photo from from back in October. And my one of my buddies described him as a, he has more forks than a silverware drawer. He had split G2s. He had split G3s. He had a kicker on one G2. Uh, and I mean, just points everywhere. Really cool looking buck. Big buck uh, somewhere in the probably 160 range. And, and like this is a deer that I didn't have on my radar. Like I said, I had one photo of him. And, and where I was hunting, this is almost a half a mile from where I got that picture. And so this is not a deer I was expecting to see. And so he came out right at last light and he was headed towards me and uh, I was getting all excited. And then all of a sudden he threw his head up and ran off and I was like, what the heck? And, um, a couple seconds later I looked to my right and here comes a whole big old group of hogs running out. And so they scared him off and they scared a couple does off there out in the plot. And, uh, so in frustration, uh, actually I don't think I got a shot. I don't know. Maybe I did. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure I killed a hog that night just out of frustration. So that was Monday. Uh, Tuesday morning I went back before work because I had seen that deer and, uh, sure enough, I saw him again. Uh, but he never, he never came up to the blind. He actually never even came into the food plot feeder or anything, uh, he was, he basically just stayed to the downwind side and he was just checking that, uh, food plot for does and there weren't any does out there. And so for a second time, I just had to watch him, you know, walk away. Uh, I did throw out a grunt and he immediately took off running. He did not like that. Uh, so that kind of told me that, you know, I wasn't going to have much of a chance to call to this deer. I was just going to kind of hope that, you know, something brought him in front of me. So that was, uh, that would have been Tuesday morning, I think. Uh, Tuesday evening, uh, I'm pretty sure it rained that day. And, and normally, I want to throw this out there, normally I would not hunt one spot this much. But it was raining every single night. And so it worked out perfectly because I could get in, get out without spooking anything, and then it would rain and wash all my scent away. Next day I could get in, get out, and it would rain again, wash all my scent away. So that's the only reason I was hunting this one spot so often. Uh, so anyway, yeah, like I said, I think it was Tuesday evening I was hunting and, uh, it was getting late. It was probably, I don't know, 20 minutes before dark. And I look up and I see a buck coming at me and there was already, uh, I want to say like four does out in the food plot. And, uh, this buck's coming in and the does worked over to the feeder and, uh, and the feeder was about 20 yards from me. And again, I had my muzzle loader, so this buck's coming closer and closer and closer, and it actually just so happened to kind of come to my side and stand there, and, <coughs> oh, excuse me, he was standing, I mean, perfectly broadside at 20 yards, uh, and he did not want to jump in the feeder pin, and like, he just did not. He was standing outside of it, and it was almost like he was calling to the does, like, come out here, like, he did not want to go in. And I was really regretting not having my bow. Uh, I'd kind of thought about bringing my bow and my muzzle loader just to see if I got a shot, but I ended up not. I was like, ah, it's ridiculous to bring my bow. And so I'm sitting there and I have my muzzle loader 
again, perfectly broadside, 20 yards. And uh, I kind of sit back in the blind because I don't want the barrel to go out the window and, you know, be real noticeable. Take my time, dead steady, uh, got him centered in the scope, pull the trigger and hear a pop. And, uh, and I mean, I, I had time to, you know, think like, oh, I heard a noise, started lowering my muzzle loader and then bang, and then it went off and I had a delayed fire and I missed that buck completely. And so he goes running off and I'm kicking myself. Um, I'm, you know, I'm upset and I was like, God, you know what, what happened? I couldn't figure out what happened. And then I look up and he's still standing out there in the food plot. He's at 60 yards. Still standing there. The does had ran off a little bit, um, but they didn't. You know, they didn't know what happened. And uh, and he puts his nose to the ground, and starts chasing those does again. And so I'm like, "Crap! I got another chance." So I had a, one of those little tubes, like quick reloading tubes, and I shove that down the barrel, get a primer, put a primer in, and I'm trying to get steady. And he'd kind of worked away a little further. He's about a hundred. And, uh, so I actually got down on a knee and was using my chair as a rest. Uh, cause again, this blind has bow windows. So they, you know, it sits kind of low to rest on. So I'm using my chair as a rest. I'm on a knee, get steady again. I got a range finder. So I know the range. I'm feeling comfortable and, uh, take my time, squeeze the trigger again, nothing. And I'm like, what on earth is this thing doing? And I wish I could blame this one on the muzzle loader. But this one was actually my fault. To make sure that I had a primer, after I put my bullet and my powder in that little speed loading tube, I'd put a primer on top of the powder. And in my haste, I just dumped the whole thing down the barrel, and that primer went down before the powder. So like the primer went off the second time I pulled the trigger, the, the primer I had put in it. But the primer that I dumped down the barrel kept the powder from going off. And so twice in one evening, I had screwed up a shot on the same buck, a nice 10 point buck, you know, nothing, nothing that was going to, you know, make Boone and Crockett, but a 10 point that I would have definitely been happy with. And so again, twice in the same evening, screwed up this buck and, and I couldn't get the primer out. Like, you know, I didn't have any way to, to unload it. And so I had to sit there for another like 10 minutes and watch this buck peruse around the food plot chasing does and couldn't do a thing about it. So I went home with my tail, tail tucked between my legs, you know, really frustrated. Uh, but I was kind of frustrated myself, not at the gun. Uh, I had shot the gun one time, uh, one shot and didn't clean it, you know, just to unload it and stuff. And so I was blaming it on myself. So I went home. Uh, managed to get the, uh, you know, bullet and powder and primer and all that stuff out of the barrel, got it unstuck and gave that thing a thorough cleaning, uh, clean the barrel, clean the breech plug real good. Cause I figured that was the problem and, uh, and went back out. And so, uh, Friday, I believe it was Friday, which would have been Halloween, whatever day Halloween was. Uh, and I love hunting Halloween especially at my brother's place. Cause like I said, just in the few years I've been running trail cameras, uh, it seems like I always have a big deer on Halloween. And so, uh, like I said, I'm pretty sure that was a Friday evening went out. Uh, no, it was Saturday. Sorry. It was Saturday. Uh, cause I got to hunt all day and, uh, got out to the blind early and, uh, was sitting there and some does started, you know, coming out. 
Um, and I was watching, I think there was like four or five does out in the food plot. You know, basically I kept seeing the same does over and over again, but I was loving it because, you know, they were good live decoys. And then uh, I caught some movement to my left and looked over, and here comes a doe running up. And uh, see see another deer and look behind her, and here's that big fork buck. And he's at about 60 yards already, coming straight at me, you know, kind of quartering to uh, following that doe. That doe had ran to the feeder, and he was following her. And so I get my muzzleloader ready. And, you know, make sure the windows are good and everything. Uh, I'm in that uh, Krivelman or Krivelman blind. And he works his way up to about 40 yards. Uh, but he's he's quartering to me, so I don't want to take that shot. You know, he doesn't know I'm there. He's obviously on this doe, so I just decided to be patient. And so I'm working, working. And he actually takes a, st- a few more steps towards me and kind of turns broadside. Um, but he was kind of, he was in the gap of the windows. And so like, I couldn't really shoot out of the the right window. Couldn't really shoot out of the left window. He was just right in that like, you know, the blind spot, I guess you'd call it. And so I'm sitting there still being patient and I'm like, well, he's obviously going to keep coming and I'm watching him and, uh, he looks to his right and sees those other couple does out, you know, in front of me and completely forgets about the doe he had chased in and turns and starts walking away towards those does so now i'm kind of starting to i'm like oh man you know something's got to happen and uh i didn't i didn't make any noise i didn't stop him or anything but on his own he stopped and took about two steps to his right and looked back at the original doe that he had followed in and i mean it was a perfect quartering away shot like this like if you want to draw up the perfect shot this was it this nice big I think he's a 12 point uh, off the top of my head because of all of his forks and splits and stuff. And he's uh, he looks back at the doe and then he looks away at the other deer. Gives me a chance to get my gun out the window. And I'd even brought my shooting sticks this time because I learned from my mistakes of the previous time having to use the chair. So I'm resting on these shooting sticks. He's probably 45-ish, 50 yards away. Perfect quartering away shot. I line up the crosshairs, pull the trigger. I noticed a slight delay, but I mean, it was pretty much a pop boom. Gun goes off. Of course, smoke goes everywhere. And, uh, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking. Finally, the smoke clears, and he's already, you know, probably 120 yards away by the time the smoke clears. And I can see he's dragging uh, one of his legs, and he looks hit hard. And so, oh, man, I am pumped. I am pumped. I mean,. The shot felt great. It looked good. You know, he looked wounded. Uh, he kind of did like a little loop. Uh, I watched him jump the fence, and uh, and I was pumped. I was like, man, I'm texting buddies. I'm like, I got him. The fork buck is down. Uh, I was I was so excited. Uh, but, you know, I wanted to give him some time, so I I let it get dark. Uh, walked back to the truck and, you know, put, put, all, put all my stuff away, drove the truck up. And go out to start looking for blood, and I get to the area where I was pretty sure he was standing, and I'm not seeing anything. And uh, but I don't think anything about it. I'm like, man, he has to be hit hard. And so I'm kind of following the trail, you know, where I think he was walking. I'm looking down. I'm not seeing any blood, but I just, I just know that he jumped that fence and is dead on the other side of that fence. And and that fence leads to our the big canyon I was talking about earlier. Uh, it's real thick, real nasty, 
it totally makes sense that he would head that direction. And so I'm still feeling pretty good. And get up to the fence, looking around, still not seeing any blood. Um, I, you know, kind of check the, uh, the thick stuff on the other side of the fence, don't see him and I'm walking around and now a little bit of doubt comes in, but not too much. And, uh, and I should throw this out there. I'm like, I'm decently colorblind. I'm not all colorblind, but I struggle. And, uh, so like when I wasn't finding blood, I really wasn't too concerned because I'm not good at finding blood anyway. And so I'm, uh, and I'm kind of body, like I, I'm so confident in this shot that I'm kind of body searching, honestly, you know, I, like I think he's dead. And so I'm walking around and, you know, 10 minutes goes by and then 20 minutes goes by and, and still not seeing anything. And, uh, you know, I text my wife, uh, that I had shot him and stuff and she was at home and, and, uh, she asked if I wanted her to come out there. She's actually, believe it or not, she's actually really good at, uh, at blood trailing. Um, and so I say yes, and so I drive up to the house, and, and she meets me there, and we head back out, um, and we're looking around and, and not finding anything, and, um, there's one little path that kind of leads back into that canyon, and, uh, and it was actually my wife's idea, she's like, you know, maybe he just took the path of least resistance and is headed down into the canyon, there's water in the bottom and stuff. And so we're walking down this little trail, and sure enough, she's finding some blood. And so so now I'm pumped. And just kind of the way the blood is laid out, it looks like he ran across the trail that we're on, uh, basically south to north. And, you know, the canyon's to our west, and the trail is running east-west. But it looked like he, he, it looked like he jumped out onto that trail, maybe stood there for a second because there were several drops. And then kept going straight. And like, and there was a trail that went, you know, straight uh, where it looked like he went. Um, and so we look around. We look through that thick stuff a little bit. Uh, and it was real thick where it looked like he had ran. And still not finding much blood. Not finding him. And uh, I'm talking to one of my buddies. And he's like, man, I think you need to get a dog there. And, uh, and I've never used a, a blood trailing dog. Uh, I don't have any experience with it. Uh, like I said, like I was so confident that I almost hated to call one because I just knew we were going to find him. Uh, but we looked around again. Uh, he went ahead and sent me. He he uh, had a guy he knows with a dog. And so uh, we I went ahead and called him and was kind of talking through it with him. And he was like, you know, I he agreed. He was like, man, I don't want to come out there. And, you know, we find your dog 100 yards away. Um, but also like if, you know, if you can't find it. And so we basically came up with the plan that I was going to go back out there in the morning in the daylight and see if I could find more blood or, you know, hopefully him. Uh, and then if I couldn't find anything, he was going to bring his dogs out. And so went home, spent a very sleepless night. And, you know, by the time I got home, it was probably, I don't know, 10, 11 o'clock and, uh, didn't sleep real well. Woke up the next morning, uh, which I think was Saturday, and uh, got out there and didn't find another drop. Like, you know, I, I, I found the blood again that we had found the night before. Uh, I think we'd even stuck something in the ground to mark it, uh, but didn't find another another drop. Went back to where the shot was, didn't find any blood there. And so I called the, the tracker and I said, hey, uh, I think I'd like you to come out. And so... Uh, and I'll throw this out there. Uh, part of the reason, I, you know, I'll admit, part of the reason I didn't want to call the dog was because I didn't want to pay for it. 
Um, and I had no idea what they cost. I just assumed that it was very expensive. Uh, it really was not that bad. Uh, I want to say he charged, I think it was $150 for him to come out. And then if he found the deer, he charged another hundred, um, which is, you know, that's not exactly chump change. Uh, but I, I had in my head that I was like, oh, it's a thousand dollars easy to have a dog out. And you know, it was a quarter of that. And so, so it takes him about two hours to get out there. And, uh, he had two dogs with him and turned them out. And like I said, you know, he's asking me what I thought the shot was, what, what might've gone wrong, what kind of blood was it? You know, a lot of good questions. <clears throat> and, uh, so he turns his dogs out and, uh, the dog heads like straight in the direction that, you know, the deer had run off and, uh, he goes and crosses the fence and then sure enough, he turns and heads onto that trail. Uh, and, but when he hit that trail, instead of going straight across, like I had been thinking the deer crossed, he took a hard left. And I mean hard left and started working off kind of that way. And, and me and the tracker are sitting there and we're standing at the blood and, uh, and, and, you know, he's looking at it and, you know, he sees the trail that I'd been talking about. Uh, but man, his dog just keeps going further and further left. Um, and so he's like, man, he's like, I don't know what to do. He's like, uh, he's like, man, it really looks like this dog is on something and I hate to stop it. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I, I think it's wrong, but, uh, but we'll see. And, you know, I was thinking of the, like the other deer, you know, that had been in the plot and, you know, they, I was like, oh, they probably ran that way. And so eventually he's like, man, we better follow this dog. And so we start, you know, going that way and he's got the GPS and we're, we're purposely staying back a little bit, you know, so we don't disrupt anything or, uh, or jump the deer, you know, if the deer's not hit, uh, fatally and we're going and going and, <clears throat> and he's looking for blood and I'm looking for blood and, uh, we keep going further and further. And he's like, man, I, I just want to, I just want some kind of confirmation that we're headed the right direction. Um, and so we keep going and sure enough, we finally, he finds one leaf that with a little pin drop of blood. Um, and again, this is only the second blood that we've found on the whole track. And we're probably 300 yards in at this point. Uh, but it gave him some confidence. He was like, man, I was just about to grab that dog and go push her into that thick stuff where that trail led. Uh, but he's like, obviously we're on the right track. And um, it was it was reassuring, but it was also a little disheartening because the the fact kind of set in, started to set in with me that we might not find this deer and that it might not be hit as good as I thought. And so, you know, sure enough, we keep pushing dog keeps running he's watching on the gps and it's just going further and further and further and eventually we get all the way down into the bottom of the canyon and i'm calling this a canyon but you know it's really just a deep draw and we we were a half mile from from the shot and again we'd only found those two pieces of blood two spots of blood and he finally kind of looked at me and was like man I don't think we're going to find this deer. And, uh, and my heart sank, of course. Um, but it was also, man, having that assurance was also very, uh, oh, what's the word? Just reassuring, you know, like it made me feel good because I knew that that deer wasn't just laying on the other side of that fence and I couldn't find it. And, uh, 
So he got his dogs, and we kind of walked up a different path that we had come down, you know, looking for blood. And we got back to that uh, to that first blood spot, and he kind of let the let the dog loose again just to double check. And sure enough, you know, the dog turned left again. He he called it back. Um, and so it it sucked, but it was also again, like I said, I the the tracker was very confident that the deer was still alive. He said, you know, the way I described the shot. What probably happened was I was a little low and probably hit that opposite leg, which is, you know, where the blood was coming from, but just not a fatal shot. Uh, he, you know, he's obviously done a lot of tracking, has a lot of experience, and he kind of assured me that he thought the deer was still alive. And so the advice he gave me was to put out some extra tra- trail cameras, leave the area alone a little bit, and basically just wait, you know, and see if the if the deer showed up. Uh, he did ask that if I did see the deer again to let him know because he wanted to know for his dogs. Like, he wanted to know if his dogs failed or not, basically, or if there was nothing there for them to find. And so so that's what I did. Um, and, you know, I was very appreciative of him. And uh, so I put some extra trail cameras out, waited a little while to check them. And sure enough, he was exactly right. Uh, I that Like I said, that was Halloween. Uh, I can't remember exactly when I checked the cameras, but oddly enough, I checked the cameras at like one o'clock. I, th- I want to say it was about three weeks later, and uh, that deer had passed by that camera one hour before I checked it. Um, and so, and I I could see, you know, most I couldn't see the bottom of his legs, but I could see probably from the knee up. And the tracker was exactly right; the bullet had gone basically straight underneath his vitals and hit the opposite leg. Um, you know, it was, it was good and bad at the same time. You know, that deer three inches, you know, three inches made the difference. If I would have been three inches higher, I probably would have got, I probably would have destroyed his heart or both lungs, something. And that deer would be on my wall right now. Uh, but instead it's out there limping around with a hurt leg, which is, it sucks, but at the same time, you know, that deer's going to live. Like, you know, it had obviously been a few weeks. Um, you could see the wound, but he actually, uh, after I checked all the cameras, I had him on three different cameras. And so he was obviously moving around, you know, two of the cam- the farthest cameras were probably, probably a good 600 yards. And he, he had been on those two cameras within 24 hours. And so he was obviously doing fine. It didn't look like he had really lost any weight or anything. And so I'm, I'm very confident that that deer to this day, you know, is still out there. So, so that was, uh, that was the end of October and muzzleloader season. And, uh, you know, I wasn't feeling too good, honestly, you know, typically going into November, you're all pumped and jazzed and, and, uh, the best is still ahead, but I felt like I had missed my chance. You know, I, I should have filled both buck tags in October, you know, even if I had shot the first deer with my muzzle loader that second deer was still within bow range uh or vice versa you know i could have shot the first one with my bow and the second with the muzzle loader um so i should have been tagged out in october uh and then november rolls around and again most of you probably experienced this it was a super warm october uh not a lot of deer movement uh, the rut seemed pretty subdued, you know, obviously they still bred, but, uh, just with the warm temperatures and everything, I think a lot of it was at night. 
uh, at the very end of October, we did have a little bit cooler weather. Um, an old buddy from high school came up and uh, did some hunting. He's he's done some deer hunting, but not much. Uh, but he came up, and I let him do some hunting, and he shot the biggest buck he'd ever shot. Uh, you know, a pretty decent buck. And then my wife, uh, I've mentioned a few podcasts today, a few podcasts ago. My wife shot a really nice eight point all by herself. Uh, that was her first buck actually, and and turned out to be a really nice one. I haven't got to score it yet, but probably like a hundred and thirty five inch eight point, uh, which was awesome for her first year. And he was rutting hard, and she got to you know she got to watch him chase does and. Ended up shooting him at 20 yards with her rifle uh, during rifle season. And then I think it was the next day. I'm pretty sure she killed her buck on Friday. I was able to kill two does on Saturday as well as my brother killed two does on Saturday. And so we went from, you know, zero meat in the freezer to three deer in 24 hours and plus my brother's deer. Uh, and that ended November for us, so really a, a pretty uneventful November, especially for myself. Um, but I did feel good, you know, having some meat in the freezer, and so that took some of the pressure off of me and allowed me to really focus on, you know, hunting bucks. And and honestly, like, I love late season. I I have killed so many deer late season. It seems like that's just my time to shine. I don't know why. Uh, you know, I, it seems like I always have, you know, a couple encounters in October, but usually not very good. And then, you know, I'll have a, a few, uh, encounters in November, but it just seems like, you know, I might get lucky once, might not. But then, and when it comes to late season, I don't like the deer just, they get super patternable and they become a whole lot more daylight active. It seems at least where I hunt. And so, so going into December, I really wasn't that down, you know. Um, I was still feeling confident, still feeling good. Um, and sure enough, you know, I was checking my cameras and some bucks that I had seen earlier in the year started coming back around. Uh, that big 10 point that I talked about from the summer actually started coming to one of my feeders. I mean, every day. It was always at night, but every day. And so that kind of got me hopeful. Um, and yeah, so... Uh, you know, I was kind of waiting for my moment. Like I said, when they first started showing up, it was mostly at night. Um, but then, you know, when, when you get a cold spell, you know, you might get one break in daylight. Uh, and then this 10 point, uh, started showing up at my dad's place. Uh, and <laughs> I started to use the word consistent, but, uh, I, I thought of a better way to put it. He showed up often, but not consistent. And what I mean by that is like, he he came to the feeder really often, but it was never at the same time. And so, I mean, he'd be there almost every day, but he might be there at seven o'clock in the morning one day. He'd be there at noon the next day, and then he'd be there at ten thirty a.m. the next day, and then six at night the next day. And so he was coming pretty often. He just, like I said, he wasn't coming. You know, I couldn't track him down. Um, and, uh, and he was all over the place too. Like I had, you know, a couple cameras going on a couple different food plots and feeders and, uh, and he, you know, he'd be at one, one day he'd be at one the next. And, and again, no pattern. And like one day he was at one in the morning and a different one in the evening. And then the next day he'd show up at noon at one of them. And so, you know, I, I started hunting this deer cause he, he was the only one that was like, you know, pretty daylight active 
but I just couldn't track him down. I couldn't keep uh, tabs on him. Uh, and but the one he there was one little food plot that I planted, uh, and it was at the end of this. I call it a wagon road. Uh, it's it's an old path that kind of leads back into this draw, and like on that path, like every October, it just gets lit up with scrapes, scrapes everywhere. Um, and so I'd planted this little food plot, like right on the edge of the pasture where the cows couldn't get to it. We had fenced it off and there's just a little, you know, half acre between the fence and the woods that I could plant and right at the end of that road. Uh, and it seemed like he was there the most, uh, and again, all times a day and maybe not every day, but, but he was there the most. And so I basically just decided that I was going to start hunting that spot every chance the wind was right. And in every chance I could, you know, I was still working. And so I hunted that spot quite a few times in December. Um, and by that time, you know, we were, we were having to feed and we do have some cows over at dad's and that's kind of my responsibility. And so I, there were several days where, you know, I'd go over there to feed and I'd just go early and I'd hunt till eight o'clock, you know, this time of year it wasn't getting light till six forty-five, So I'd hunt from like six forty-five to eight and then I'd have to go feed and go back to work. And uh, I think there was one day he came. I left at 8 and he came at 9. Uh, there was another day I got to hunt a little later till like 8.30 and he came at like 10. And and it, I, I don't think he was smelling me or anything. That's just He was just sporadic like that. Like That's just when he chose to come in. Uh, and so he kind of worked his way up to the number one on my hit list just because I thought he was the most killable. Uh, you know, over at Luke's, there was there was one feeder that was really lighting up. Uh, that big 10-point was there. There was an old 8-point uh, that I would have been happy to kill. Uh, he just uh, he was probably 8 years old. I mean, just old, big, framey 8-point. Uh, and then, what was... Oh, there was a 10-point a there. Um, did I, I was trying to decide whether I would kill him or not. He was probably like a 4-year-old, and he had broken off one of his tines, and just... He probably needed one more year, but like you know, at this point in the season, without feeling a buck tag, you know, it it would have been hard to stop myself. And so, but uh, but this ten point over at my dad's was number one on the list, just because he, I felt like he was the most killable. And uh, I figured he was probably about a hundred and forty inch deer, you know, not a mega, but but a good solid deer. And uh, I've killed a lot of bucks, but I've never killed a good symmetrical ten point. And that's always been my dream. I mean, ever since I was a teenager, and, you know, watching the Outdoor Channel as a kid, like, I always just wanted a nice, perfectly symmetrical 10-point. And I've never killed one. And so, so that was another reason I was kind of attracted to him. Even though he wasn't the biggest deer in the world, like, he just, he was that perfect 10. And so, so hunted him. And uh, Christmas comes along. Still haven't killed a buck, and, uh, you know, I go to my family, and everybody's asking about hunting and stuff, because they know I'm a big hunter, and, eh, you know, haven't killed a buck yet, and uh, go to my wife's family, and they go, oh, John, you know, how's the podcast coming, you know, how's the hunting, yeah, I haven't killed anything yet, <laughs> and so, so by Christmas, when I haven't killed anything, I'm starting to feel it a little bit, you know, like I said, going into December, I was still feeling confident, but at this point, I'm kind of like, man, I don't know, and, uh, there was actually one hunt, I think it was about a week before Christmas. Uh, I don't remember what day Christmas Day was, but I, but I remember this day was a Thursday. I want to say it was the Thursday before Christmas. 
And that big 10 point I was talking about at my brother's had started kind of inching closer and closer to daylight. And, uh, I hunted him on Wednesday and he didn't show. And as soon as it got dark, I, I, you know, I hurried out of the stand and ran off and actually had a, a cell camera on this setup. And 10 minutes later, like basically as soon as I got to my truck, he showed up and, you know, sat around, you know, hung around for 10 minutes eating corn and stuff. Like I didn't spook him. He didn't smell me or anything, but I missed him by 10 minutes. And, uh, the next day it was supposed to be a little bit colder and a great wind. And I was like, man, he's going to be there. But, uh, I had, I had promised my wife a few weeks ago that I would take her to this, uh, Christmas concert in Oklahoma city. And so Thursday rolled around and I took off work a little early. We drove to Oklahoma city and we're, uh, we're sitting there waiting for the concert to start. My phone buzzes and sure enough, there he is about 10 or 15 minutes before, uh, dark this just beautiful, gorgeous, massive ten point is sitting there right in front of my stand with a perfect wind. Uh, so missed opportunity, but you know it is what it is, and I'm glad I got to, you know, my wife puts up with a lot from me, and so I definitely owed her that concert, and I had no no problem taking her. And so Christmas is over, and we get you know done with all the family stuff, and uh, get back to work. And, uh, and I'm like, man, it's, it's getting, getting to be crunch time. Well, I finally got a little, uh, a little gift from the Lord, a little gift from mother nature. And the last two days of December, it rained nonstop. It rained for 48 hours straight. And one thing that I had noticed with this deer over at dad's, this 10 point was that whenever it would rain, as soon as that rain ended, he would be in that food plot. And so uh, I was looking at the weather real close, and it was supposed to stop raining at 5 a.m. on January 1st. And I was like, "Man, that's the ch- that's like that's it. That's when he's going to be there. I know he's going to be there." And so I was planning. We had it all. I had it worked out with my wife, and uh, we were going to go over to my brother's house on New Year's Eve and hang out with him and his wife and the kids. And then you know I was going to sleep. I was going to wake up early, and I was going to go kill that buck January 1st. Well, we're heading to my brother's house, and uh, I'm talking to my wife, and my brother joked that, like, they, I guess their TV broke, and so we wouldn't be able to, you know, watch the ball drop at midnight. And I was like, man, we ain't going to be there till midnight. Like, you know, we'll, we probably won't even stay till 10. Uh, you know, I'm an old man. I'm not old, but, but, you know, I feel like an old man. So, so anyway, we go over there, and, you know, it was kind of a special night, so they let their kids, you know, uh, stay up late, and their oldest is seven. And so, uh, you know, it's not like their kids stay up super late normally, but, but, uh, we're hanging out, we have dinner we watch a movie and, uh, about 10 o'clock they put the kids to bed and, uh, my wife kind of comes up she's like, Hey, like, I really want to, you know, hang out with them a little longer and like maybe play a board game or something. Is that okay? And in my head, I, you know, I didn't really want to cause I wanted to get up and hunt, but again, you know, it's not all about me. And so I was like, yeah, we can, we can stay and play this game. And so we, uh, we played like this domino game. I think, uh, I think it's called Mexican train. And, uh, so we're playing dominoes and talking and hanging out and having a good time. And I keep kind of looking at the clock and it's getting later and later. And I kind of hint and, you know, hint around with ending the game. And, uh, and my brother's wife is kind of like, Oh, you know, like we got to finish at this point. And, uh, we ended up playing that game till 2 a.m. 2 a.m. I had no idea we were going to stay up that late. I don't think any of us did. 
And so at 2 a.m., I'm finally like, all right, like, we're going. And so we drive back to our house, and, you know, of course, I had to shower and stuff. And and we finally climb into bed about 2.50, you know, almost 3 a.m. And my wife was like, well, are you still going hunting? I was like, no, I'm not going. And uh, she kind of looked at me because I, you know, I'd been telling her how bad I wanted to hunt, like how confident I was that this deer was going to be there that next morning. And she looked at me and said, John, you got to go. And she told me, you know, I was going to regret it if I didn't go. And I knew she was right. So I set my alarm and uh, legal shooting light January 1st was at 7 a.m. And so I woke up at 6 a.m. And man, I thought real hard about going back to sleep. But I got on up and got ready, drove out to the property. And it was still sprinkling a little bit, uh, which I was good. Because I was running a little bit behind, and also just kind of, you know, help cover my uh, cover my scent, cover, you know, make some noise for when I'm walking in. And so I actually sat in my truck a little bit when I got there, waiting for the rain to break a little bit, and it started finally breaking. And uh, so I actually walked to my tree stand in the I wouldn't say rain, but you know, sprinkling. It was definitely still you know water falling from the sky, uh, which again was good because it covered my noise. Walked up, climbed into my tree. I sat down like right at 7 o'clock, right at legal shooting light. And I wish there was more to this story, but there's really not. At 7.07, here comes this 10-point buck. And he walked right out, put a perfect shot on him. Uh, he ran off. I was so excited. I, I, you know, kind of a rookie mistake type thing. I didn't really pay that much attention to where he ran because I, I was just so pumped. Felt good about my shot, and uh, I kind of got to looking, and uh, I could actually see his white belly from my tree stand, um, and I, I didn't hear him fall. Like you know, there's still kind of a noise. It wasn't raining, but there was still a bunch of water falling off the leaves and stuff. So I didn't hear him fall, but like I said, I I could see him from my tree stand, and so went ahead, you know, gave him some time, uh, climbed down. And I could see he wasn't moving, and so I felt pretty good walking up to him. I waited, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. And uh, so I started walking towards him, and I see an antler on the ground. And I'm like, oh, man, like, it seems awfully early. Like, normally our bucks don't shed till about March. Uh, so I went and picked it up, and I thought it was an antler. I even I was filming, like, just on my phone when I walked up to him. And I even said on the film, I was like, oh, the, this must be from this, you know, younger 10 point that I'd seen a couple times and passed. Uh, and then I got up to my buck and I was looking at him and started taking some pictures and I held the antler up and it was an exact replica of my deer, just a little smaller. And I'm pretty sure that it was that deer shed from the year before. Like, what are the chances of that? I, I, I don't know, but very small. And so... Not only did I get my nice typical 10 point, but I found his shed while recovering him. And and to say I was excited was an understatement. I mean, January 1st, I mean, my first thought was like, forget you 2020, it's 2021 now. And so so I had my deer, I was pumped and uh, you know, got some good photos, got him loaded up and taken care of and and I was I was ready to go. I was jacked. And, uh, so got him, you know, like I said, taken care of meat in the freezer, uh, 
Took him to uh, a tax, a local taxidermist that I haven't used before. Uh, I'm, tr- I don't actually, I don't even know the name of his taxidermy company. I'm sorry, Levi. Uh, his name is Levi. Uh, he's a one of my brother's friends from church, and so he's going to mount the buck for me. Got him all checked in, and then uh, that next Monday, I think it was that. Yep, uh, Monday, January fourth. I actually started a new job, and so kind of a new chapter of my life. I'm leaving the family uh, family business and the ranch, and uh, I'm going to be building custom homes from now on. So I I started that job on Monday, January 4th, and uh, worked my first week. And then on Friday, uh, about noon, my boss uh, was like, man, like I really just need to do some paperwork, and there, you know, there's not really any way for you to help me. And so he actually let me off at noon on Friday, and I was like, well, I'm going hunting. So, uh, drove out to the, uh, to the ranch and I, I, like, I hadn't washed my clothes since the previous week. My camo hadn't done anything. I, I think I took a shower. I'm pretty sure I took a shower and uh, I had some cheap little, you know, scent spray from Walmart that I sprayed my clothes down real with real quick and went hunting. And, uh, I was, I was pretty sure it was going to be the last chance I got to hunt, uh, for this season. And so, uh, the wind wasn't great for where I was, I was going to go to that spot I was talking about at my brother's place where I'd had the couple bucks. Uh, the big 10 point had kind of stopped showing up, but that the older eight point, that, uh, real old buck, he was still coming fairly consistently. And, uh, he had shown up right at daylight or I'm sorry, right at, uh, I guess end of daylight in the evening a couple times and so I decided to go for it like I said I was pretty sure that this was going to be the last chance I got to hunt this year um the wind was uh it was coming from the north to the south and my tree stand was set up kind of northeast of the feeder and so I knew I was going to be pushing it and you know a lot of times these big older deer like to swing around downwind of a feeder before they come into it I really like i I still hunt feeders, but when I, when you're hunting a older, mature deer, it's really hard to kill them on a feeder. A lot of times I have better luck backing off and kind of hunting that transition or, you know, hunting over a food plot where there's not necessarily like one spot that the deer is kind of afraid to be and with all that scent and everything. Um, but I, I did take an Ozonics with me. I have a, an, it's like their original, you know, old unit. It's not the fancy one. Um, so I did take that. The wind was about eight miles an hour. Uh, like I said, kind of straight South. They actually predicted that it was going to be from the Northwest, which would have been a little better, but it ended up being straight North. And so I was basically just kind of running that Ozonics and and praying. That was kind of my strategy. And again, like it was my last time of the season. So it's not like I had that much to lose. Even if the buck winded me, I wouldn't be hunting him for another, you know, nine months or, uh, if I hunted him at all, you know, he was so old, I wasn't even sure he'd make it another year. Um, and so I get out to my stand nice and early, uh, about, I don't know, four o'clock, uh, legal shooting light ended at what time did it end? I want to say it was six o'clock. Uh, I don't remember exactly, but somewhere around there. And so sitting there and, oh, uh, I, so uh, Again, I wasn't really prepared because I wasn't really planning on hunting this day. It was just kind of a little gift. Uh, I forgot a beanie. I forgot a base layer on top. Uh, I didn't have like my warm coveralls. I just I had I had like my base layer and my insulated pants, but not like my actual heavy coveralls. 
And so I climb up to this tree and there's a, you know, eight to 10 mile an hour North wind just nailing me in the right side of my face. Again, no hat, no beanie, no nothing, no hood. Uh, and so like, my right ear was killing me. Like, I mean, it was cold. And, uh, I want to say the temperature was only like 38 and then you had that wind. And so the later it got, the colder I got, uh, started shivering. And, uh, there had been a younger buck, a uh, younger two-year-old buck that had been coming out about, you know, 520 or so. Um, and 520 rolls around, he doesn't show. 530 rolls around, still nothing. And I'm like, man, like maybe it's so cold that these deer are just hunkered down. Um, and then 540 rolls around and I see a deer and can't really tell what it is. Uh, it was on the other side of this tree line. And so I pull up my binoculars and I'm looking, it takes a few more steps and I see that it's that old eight point. And I immediately like my heart starts pounding. Cause I, I, I did not think that this was going to work out. And, uh, and I kind of, I'm like, man, like this deer, I couldn't have picked a worse deer to come out with a not so great wind because there's no way this deer is not going to go downwind. You know, he's, he's old, he's been around the block. Uh, he, like, I just knew he was going to go downwind and bust me. And so he's coming towards me and he kind of gets up to the tree line and he starts looking back behind him. And, uh, I, I was like, Oh, that's probably like that two year old or whatever. And, uh, so I pull up my binoculars and I see a deer and then another deer and then another deer and another deer and another deer. And I think, I think it was six does, uh, kind of pop out behind him. And I'm like, golly, these does are going to pull him away. And this is also the spot that I was talking about where we had planted for the cows and so I, I, but I can't, I can't shoot that spot. It's like, again, wide open cattle pastures all over this place. Um, and so I couldn't actually set up over where we had planted those crops. Uh, I'm hunting this feeder in like the only tree in the entire pasture. Uh, and so, well, these does kind of head off towards, you know, they're not coming to the feeder. They head off towards that food plot. And, uh, and so this buck's kind of sitting there. And sure enough, he comes through the tree line and he starts walking downwind of the feeder. And, and we have panels around this one to keep the hogs away. And he's walking downwind. And of course, like he's on the other side of the panels and all that. So he's, you know, out of bow range. And he keeps just walking closer and closer to my downwind side. And I'm, you know, the wind's hitting me in the side of the face. I've got the ozonics running above my head. And I, I'm basically just waiting for this deer to catch my wind and run off. And like, if I, if I drew a straight line where my wind was blowing, this deer was probably only 10 to 15 yards from that line. And he's, you know, kind of has his nose up. He's checking the wind. And the only thing I can think is that just the combination of the ozonics and then being so high in the tree, I was, I was probably 22 feet up. That's just kind of where I had to be in this tree uh, because of the limbs and stuff. And between the ozonics being that high and the wind blowing decently hard, I guess my scent was just going over the top of this deer because he should have helped, should have smelt me and he didn't. And so sure enough, he jumps into the pen, uh, and he starts eating, but he's facing me, uh, kind of quartering too. Uh, but you know, for the most part, he's facing me and, uh, he's eating corn and, I kind of pull my phone out of my pocket and click the time, and there's only 10 minutes of legal light left. 
And uh, so he's eating and eating and not moving. You know, a lot of times when a deer comes to a feeder, they kind of eat and they'll walk around and eat and walk around. This deer's not doing that. He's keeping his nose and his eyes straight upwind. <clears throat> and so I'm like, I'm just, you know, counting the minutes away in my head and thinking like, God, he's got to do something. Finally, he walks, you know, takes a few steps towards me and then turns broadside. And I'm like, all right, this is it. He puts his head down. I draw my bow and, uh, you know, I'm settling the pin and I'm just about to take the shot and he takes two steps. And I'm like, oh man. So, but he stopped perfectly. He kind of had the, the leg closer to me, you know, stepped forward just a little bit, exposing his vitals. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is it. So I'm settling my pin, settling my pin, just about to squeeze my shot. Takes two more steps. And when he does this time, he kind of turns a little bit and he turns more quartering away. And, and again, kind of like I was saying earlier, uh, like kind of a dream shot. Like, I mean, slightly quartering away, his head's down, all of his vitals exposed. And I settle my pin, but I'm feeling a little rushed at this point because not only am I losing light, but just like I know I'm losing time for him to be in the right position. And he keeps, you know, taking these steps. And so I settle my pin pull the, uh, you know, pull the, my release shot goes and I hear a loud smack and uh, I'm kind of replaying the, you know, shot in my head real quick, just kind of the way my mind works. And I, my first thought was I didn't aim low. You know, I knew being that high up in a tree that I needed to bring my shot down a little bit because, you know, my shot was going to hit high being that high with the sharp angle and everything. And I felt good about the shot. Like I, I feel like I hit where I aimed. I just didn't feel like I aimed where I should have for how high up in the tree I was. So he jumps out of the uh, out of the feeder pen, runs through the tree line. It's clear on the other side of the tree line. And so I'm watching him, and he's really not acting that hit. But again, I I mean I heard a smack. Like I knew he was hit, <coughs> and uh, so he kind of makes this big loop. And then he heads into the thick stuff. And so I'm trying to be real quiet and listen. And I hear him walk into the thick stuff a little bit. And then I hear him pause for a second. And I hear him cough once or twice. And then I hear him kind of slowly walk off. And I can't hear him anymore because the wind, you know, picks up. And so, again, I felt good. Like, I, like you know, I definitely knew I hit him for sure. Um, but I, I'll just, you know, that doubt started creeping in. I, you know, I was like, man, I didn't aim as low as I should have. I haven't shot my bow a lot. I already wounded one deer this year, so I'm a little, you know, gun shy to that. And so I decided I'm going to give this deer plenty of time. And so I look at my phone, and I shot him five minutes before light, illegal light ended. And so, which I think, I think I shot him at like 5:55, and light ended at six. And so, climb down, walk back to my truck, drive to my brother's house. Um, I also realized I'd forgotten a flashlight in my haste. And then there was one other thing I, uh, oh, I knew I didn't have like batteries for my flashlight because I'd used it to clean that other deer and I knew that the light, the batteries were getting low. So I go up to the house, talk to my brother a little bit, ended up talking to him and his wife for like an hour. Uh, then I drive 20 minutes to my house, get my flashlight drive to Walmart, get batteries for my flashlight. And so by the time I get out there back to where I shot him, it had been a good two hours. And so, you know, it's about eight o'clock and, uh, park the truck, 
Start looking for blood in the feeder pen. Not really seeing anything. And again, I'll throw this out there again. I'm like decently colorblind, so that's not that unusual. Um, but I'm looking for blood there. Not seeing any. Kind of go up to the tree line. Not seeing any. And uh, But I had made a real good mental note of this one little patch of brush that he had ran through. And so I kind of skipped ahead a good 40 yards from where the shot up to this little patch of brush. And I'm looking... Still not really finding any blood. Uh, it's so cold that the frost is already kind of setting in. This is January 8th, by the way. I don't think I said that. Um, so, yeah, the frost is already kind of setting in. And uh, walking, not seeing anything. And I knew the little finger that he had gone into the into the thick woods. I knew where that finger was. So I walk over there, and there's a... Again, you know, we're in cattle country, so there's a big cattle trail walking into the woods. And, uh, so I get on that cattle trail and like right where that trail gets into the woods, I see blood and I'm like, sweet. And so I'm probably 60 to 70 yards already from where I shot him. And this is where I find the first blood. And I'm sure there was blood before that. I just didn't find it. Couldn't see it. Uh, but I found blood. So I was feeling good. Um, but, I, but there wasn't a lot of blood. And so I'm like, you know, did I make a good shot? Did I hit him high? Am I going to find this deer? Not so like I'm just starting and there's already doubt in my head. And so I follow it and I find some more blood and, uh, and I'm not seeing a whole lot of blood on the ground, but I just happen to look up and I see a tree like a little bitty sapling, not a tree, you know, sapling, like one and a half inch diameter sapling. And it's got a big blood smear on it. And I'm like, okay, so I'm feeling better. I'm like, okay, this deer's not only bleeding, but he's bleeding decently well. So I go up to that sapling, and, he, you know, again, this deer seems to be just following this cattle trail. So I'm kind of following the trail, and I'm finding some more blood. And then the I see some blood that kind of veers off this trail next to this pretty decent-sized oak, like probably a 12-inch diameter oak. And the trail kind of splits. There's the trail, one part of it keeps going straight, one splits off to the left and one splits off to the right and uh in this tree is kind of in the middle you know it kind of looks like a duck foot and the tree is in one of the gaps like between the toes uh, and so i see blood on the left side of this oak and i'm looking but i don't see any up ahead so i step to the right side of this oak and i see blood on the right side of the oak and like for a second i started to look up in the tree i was like this deer like how is there blood on both sides of this and so so I follow the right trail, don't find any more blood, come back. Again, I'd already kind of looked ahead in the center trail uh, and didn't see any. So I followed the left trail, and it led down to the a little bitty creek that started and didn't see any that way. And so finally I was like, well, I'm just going to follow this center trail because that, you know, that's the trail he's been on. So I walk a little ways and end up finding blood again. And so I'm following this trail and... And like I said, the blood's basically just following this cow path. And so I get up, and then I get to a point where it crosses some water, and then the trail leads back up into the open pasture. And But there's another smaller trail that leads and kind of follows the creek and stays in the woods. And so I'm like, man, this deer has to like stayed in the woods. There's no way he'd run out in the open. And so I follow that path and uh, and don't find any blood. And so I walk back, and I follow the trail that went straight out to the open. Don't find it. I walked all the way up to the opening, and didn't find any blood that way. And I'm like, man, it just doesn't make sense that he'd come this way. So I go back, 
follow the trap the path straight again you know it follows the water and i'm like man you know wounded deer they like water this just makes sense to me so i followed up a pretty good ways and don't find any more blood and so i go back to the split and uh again you know it's getting late and i'm tired and uh but uh, I'd been tracking myself, luckily, on, on Onyx. And so I pull up Onyx, and I'm just looking at the path I'd been on. And, man, the path just, it was like an arrow just pointing straight out into that open field. And so I was like, man, I'm, I guess I'm going to go a little farther. So I walk out into the open field, still not finding any blood. It, you know, it's pitch black. I'm just using my headlamp. Uh, and so I decided that I was going to kind of walk the, the walk the transition line, you know, where the, between the field and the woods and... I thought maybe he might have ran up there and then, you know, kind of died on the edge, tucking back into the woods. And so I'm um, looking around. There's nothing in the open field. I'm walking along this edge and uh, feeling kind of defeated at this point because I'm not finding much blood and I'm not sure about my shot. And uh, I just so happened to step over this little dead log. And I look down and I see these two little droplet marks on this log. And I bend down, and I'm trying to figure out if it's blood, and I can't tell. And I, I wipe it with my finger, but and, you know, no blood comes off, and uh, so I can't figure out if it's blood or not. And I'm like looking above it to see if it could be, you know, water dripping off the tree. Um, and there's nothing above it, and so I, I literally get down on my hands and knees, and I'm looking at it, and I just so happen to see a little bitty red spot on this leaf next to the log, and I pick it up, look at it. And sure enough, it's blood. And so I'm like, all right, back on the trail. So uh, so the, the, the path had come out into the open, kind of followed the tree line, and then it was going back into the woods. And so I walk down, and when I get back into the, into the trees, I start finding blood again. I'm like, all right. And it was one of those things, like the frost was kind of setting out in the pasture. But when you got into the trees, the, it wasn't really frosty yet. Uh, I guess, I don't know if it was the, the warm air coming off the water or just because it was covered by the... I don't know what it was, but there wasn't frost in the woods. And so I'm finding, like, pretty good blood. So I'm I'm getting confident again. But at the same time, like, at this point, I'm probably 150 yards in. And I, I haven't found the arrow. Obviously, I haven't seen the deer. And so there's still some doubt in my head. So I'll keep going, keep going. And I get up to another little water crossing. And uh, I cross... Like, I have blood up to the water, walk across the water, can't find blood. And I'm like, this just doesn't make sense. Like, I'm on the same path, I'm on the same trail, can't find blood. And uh, so I'm kind of, you know, making a big search and walking around. And um, for the second time, I was just about to give up. I was like, man, like, it's getting late, I'm tired, I'll just come back in the morning. And, uh... And uh, I was kind of walking back towards the trail, and I just so happened to look down and see some blood on a leaf. And I'm like, oh my goodness, all right, here we go again. And so I kind of, again, pull up kind of on X, and I'm kind of looking at the direction. And uh, I kind of point myself in the right direction, and I start finding blood again. And uh, that actually happens, uh, I don't know, second or third time, whatever we're at. Uh, where I got up to a little waterway, and I, I, I got blood up to the water, and then nothing. And I still, uh, I, I still don't really know what was happening with that. I don't know if if he got some adrenaline, or just the way he was working his body, or what. But every time 
he crossed this little water and, and, you know, this is not like a big Creek, you know, I'm talking like, like I can step over it, but every time he crossed it, the blood would disappear. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm a good, I don't know, 250 yards into the trail at this point and about an hour in, um, you know, it's real slow going, follow it. Uh, I come out onto this little trail, uh, I kind of, I don't know, it's like a little, it's like an old road that used to go through the woods, and it's kind of grown up in grass and stuff, but the cows are in there, so it's short grass, and lose the trail again, and I'm just looking at all these different, and I basically just start one by one, walking down these cattle trails, looking for blood, and on the very last one, I find blood, and so I follow it, and I'm following it, and here comes another waterway, and I'm already like, oh, great, because, you know, I keep losing blood at these little waterways step across the waterway and I find my arrow and I'm blown away. Like I, I just can't imagine that the arrow had been in him this long. I'm, I'm at least 300 yards into this track and that doesn't include like the 60 that I skipped. I mean, I'm like, this deer has come a long way and I was like, man, it's kind of good that the arrow has been in him, but it's also kind of bad because he's come, he's come so far already with this arrow inside him and he's still going. And so, but the one good thing, I guess when the arrow came out, it, you know, cut a little more and I started finding better blood. And so I'm like, all right, so I'm still going, still going. And, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking ahead now. I'm trying, I'm really making a point to follow blood, but also look ahead. Cause I'm like, all right, he's gotta be here somewhere if he's here. And so I look up and I, like, keep in mind, like I've not found a bed, uh, nothing like like this deer at this point, for all I know, like this deer is going strong. And this is again, a couple hundred yards. And so I'm really, really starting like the further I go, instead of getting more confident, I'm kind of getting more like this deer isn't hit fatally because he's just gone so far, hasn't bedded down or anything. And, uh, about 50 yards after my arrow, I kind of come around this little corner and I finally see a bed and, uh, you know, flat spot. It was, a uh, it was kind of red, like the whole spot was kind of red. It wasn't like a pool of blood, but it kind of had a red tint where like the blood had mixed with the water from the frost and all that. And I had mixed emotions. I was like, man, this thing finally bedded down, but he's not in it. Uh, and so then my heart really dropped. I was like, this thing, he's hurting, but he's come a long way. And I found this bed and he's gotten up. And so I'm, I'm carrying my arrow. I'm still following blood. I see this bed and I, I'm just, I'm having a mix of emotions. And, uh, but I decided I was going to, you know, obviously I was going to go up to the bed. And so I take about three more steps up to this bed and I see legs and I put my light up and I see belly and I put my light up a little further and I see antlers and this deer, you guys had bedded down got up out of the bed, walked about five more yards and just fell over dead. I mean, he was sprawled out, feet out, head out. I, I yeah, I don't know how he didn't die in his bed. Obviously, he was hurting. Uh, I don't it and it didn't look like he had bedded down long cuz like I said, there wasn't like a pool of blood or anything. Uh but I found him and he I mean, he was frozen solid. I mean, at this point it was probably like 28 degrees, you know, this is 10:30 at night or something and uh and i 
hands down, like, my most impressive tracking job. And I'm not one to brag about tracking, because like I said, I'm half colorblind. I'm not good at it. <laughs> but, man, it, oh, I, like, I was almost more excited just that I found the deer than I was that I killed him. And, uh, took a few pictures. I was, I was exhausted. I was tired. I didn't feel like taking pictures, but I knew I'd regret it if I didn't. So I kind of used a stick to prop his antlers up and, uh, and took a few pictures and, you know, I, I tried to just kind of sit there and let everything sink in and process. Uh, I've, I learned long, I, I used to go up to a deer and I'd be so excited. I just kind of loaded up, got him and, and then I'd always look back on it like, man, I didn't enjoy that. And so I, I, I really purposely tried to take some time and enjoy it. And, uh, I had my arrow there that I'd carried with me. Uh, I looked at Onyx and I think I tracked that deer for roughly 400 yards but I had walked eight tenths of a mile looking for blood and looking for him to get that 400 yards. And it took me, I think an hour and a half to find him. Uh, but I was just elated and, uh, got him gutted, had to drag him all 400 of those yards back to the truck, get him loaded up. And, uh, by the time I, you know, got him gutted, got him out and got back to the house, I want to say it was 1am, uh, Maybe not quite that late, but it was it was at least midnight. Uh, but probably one of the most rewarding hunts I've ever been on, uh, mostly just because of that track job. I just I guess I've always gotten pretty lucky. Um, and you know, hunting with a rifle, they normally don't go far. Uh, the couple deer, you know, the couple mature bucks I've killed with my bow really haven't gotten that far. <coughs> and so to have just to have that story, it meant so much to me. And so, again, that was January 8th. I filled both my buck tags in January uh, and then had two does. And then my wife killed uh, her buck. So between the two of us, we ended up with five deer in the freezer. So we got plenty to uh, to last us the next year. And, uh, and yeah, that's, uh, that's my 2021 season. Or 2020-21. Yeah, I don't know how to say that without sounding weird, but... But yeah, uh, really all I got left, I, I took a few, uh, I try to keep track of some stats uh, throughout the year. I started doing this a couple of years ago, and it, it's just kind of fun to, to reflect back at the end of the year. And so I sat, I had 47 sits this year. That's, you know, like individual hunts. And uh, that is by far the most I've ever got to hunt. And part of what uh, what caused that is my, my wife was in EMT school this semester, and, uh, she did, she, because she loves me and is awesome, she scheduled all of her clinics for weekends in November. And so that basically freed up every weekend in November, other than the ones I had to feed. But even the, the weekends I had to feed, I'd still hunt, you know, usually before and after. And, and you know, some of those hunts were only an hour long, like I mentioned. Uh, but I, I had 47 individual sits. I saw 12 mature deer this year, which is, is also blows away any other stat I've ever had. And I like to contribute that to getting to hunt the two different properties. And, you know, I wasn't over hunting any one spot. And, uh, and yeah, just hunting smart, you know. Like, I really, really paid attention to the wind this year and my access, and it made a huge difference. And so... Uh, I killed four deer, like I said, two bucks, two does, 
And uh, I think I also mentioned earlier, I killed 33 hogs this deer season. So, so this is just some of the, the stats I keep up with. I don't try to keep up with like how many hours I'm out or, you know, anything like that. I just, I just like to keep up with a few to kind of, you know, like I said, see where I'm at. And so, so yeah, guys, I hope you enjoyed this really, really long, uh, rant about my deer season. Uh, Coming up, you know, now that I've got all my deer tags filled, I can focus on duck hunting. So I plan to do some duck hunting. Uh, I already killed a couple of geese, which was fun. And I've decided kind of randomly out of the blue that uh, I am going to become a crappie fisherman. I've never really done much crappie fishing. Uh, I grew, my dad was a big cat fisherman. Uh, he grew up fishing uh, Texoma and the Red River a lot. And then I've just, you know, with friends and stuff growing up, I did a lot of bass fishing. Um, and I, I don't know why. I, I think because crappie are supposed to be better eating fish. I've, I've never actually eaten one. Uh, but, you know, with bass fishing, 99% of the time I catch them and turn them loose. That's, like, that's just kind of what you do with bass for some reason. Uh, you know, I've eaten them a few times, but not really. Uh, but just... With getting more into, you know, eating wild game and eating what I catch and kill, like, I just, I decided that I'm going to switch over to crappie fishing, so, so, stay tuned for that, and, um, yeah, we're, we're way longer than any of my other podcasts, so I'm going to cut this one off right now, I hope you guys enjoyed it, I hope you guys, you know, got to know me a little better, uh, we're going to also, you know, we're going to talk about other things besides deer hunting, but this one was pretty much straight deer hunting, and, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, this one also is coming to you a lot more live. Um, you know, the previous episodes, I don't know if you guys noticed some weird, uh, like timeline type <laughs> stuff, you know, talking about summer or upcoming hunting season. Uh, both of those first episodes were recorded a couple months ago, really. And, you know, it just, we recorded them, uh, you know, getting ready for the podcast. And so we had material and, you know, just, it took a while to get everything worked out and edited and all that stuff. Um, and so that's why things might have seemed off. Uh, but like I said, today, I think I already said the date and I already forgot it. Today is January 12th. And so you guys will probably be listening to this within a week. And that's how most of them are going to be from now on, now that we're rolling. Again, I appreciate you guys sticking with me. Uh, we have a lot more coming up. And I've gotten already gotten some positive feedback on social media which has been awesome. Uh, if you guys are not following me, check out Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. I'm a whole lot better on Instagram than, than I am on Facebook. Uh, in fact, I'm not sure I've posted anything on Facebook. Uh, my bad. I'm going to try to get better about that. Uh, what else? Yeah, I appreciate you guys listening. Again, I've already said it. Ending these things is like the hardest part. And so... I'm cutting myself off. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week, and thanks again for tuning in. Mm-hmm.